And Lord, not only is your grace enough, your grace is all that is necessary. And Father, for those who have been saved by faith through grace, we just thank you for this day that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that we would truly be glad and rejoice in it. So, Father, once more, as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us and instruct us. Bless us, Father, with the knowledge that comes from your throne room into the ears and hearts of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Matt, it's one, two, three, four. <laughs> ah, wrong song. <laughs> hey, it worked. Good morning. Turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be starting at verse 20, and as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath your seat, but if there isn't and you need a Bible, just raise your hands and the ushers will fetch one for you. Does anybody need a Bible up front here to the right and left? Good job, Scott. He brought just the right amount of Bibles, too. Yay! <laughs> I think he hurt himself. Uh, we had the uh, parade last Monday, and it was a blessing. Um, everything went off real well. I sh should have had the hindsight to have a picture of the float, but we did our float as usual. We won the Chapman Heritage Award, and uh, it's just a blessing to be out there representing the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that everybody had a safe and sane Fourth of July. And now we are here the weekend before the beginning of Vacation Bible School, one of the bigger events that we do. Um, Sean gave some announcements on what was necessary, what we still need. I'll make some more announcements at the end of our study here this morning. But as for now, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be picking up at verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come into their senses, or come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Father, once again, as we open up your word, Lord, it's a mirror. It's a mirror, Father, that we are to see ourselves, that, Lord, you would show us the areas that we need to change, that you would reveal to us the things that are not of you. And then, Father, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would give us the ability to make the changes necessary. And so, Father, as you look deep into our heart, I pray that you would expose our heart to ourselves here in this place today, that you would be glorified through our simple lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So we're looking at this contrast between that which is honorable and that which is dishonorable within the church today. So as I'm sitting there preparing the study, I use myself as a test case. Am I an honorable pastor slash person or am I a dishonorable pastor person? Well, first place to make that determination, I went to a secular source. I checked in that well-known vanity publication, Who's Who? Now, there's a lot of who's who, and so I looked, who's who in the church today? I looked it up online, and I did a search in that particular website, and guess what? Didn't find my name. I didn't make who's who in the church today. I went on to learn that if you pay a fee, you too can be in the who's who. You too can be somebody listed in that prestigious publication, but for a price. 
Well, I then did an advanced search. It'll go a little bit deeper, and I put my name on there. And, well, although I'm not honored in the who's who, my name did come up. It was a different parallel publication. It was called, Who Do You Think You Are? (laughs) But before I lost all, I remembered to check out another publication, not a secular source, but this time a spiritual source, and I am listed under not who's who or who do you think you are, but under your mind, your mind. It's that same spiritual source that you have upon your lap that you too are his. I pray that you are. And again, it's the great hope that we have because I could care less who I am in the sight of man, but in the sight of God, sight of God, I want to be a faithful child of God simply through faith of Jesus Christ. It's when you come to that realization It's then that you know and understand that truly his grace, his grace is enough. Philippians chapter 4 verse 3 says, it's Paul speaking of the rest of his fellow workers and he describes them as those whose names are in the book of life. It's that book and you can't buy your way in, you cannot work your way in. Again, it's God who invites you in again through faith by his grace. So what we've seen in the second chapter of 2 Timothy, we've been there for a couple of weeks, is a presentation of pertinent pictures of ministry, dynamics of a preacher, necessary parts of a pastor, personality of a servant, not so much those who possess God, but those people who are possessed by God, people who are under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit for the express reason of glorifying God and not glorifying self which as we look at the landscape of Christianity today seems to be a real issue. So many people out there trying to glorify themselves. Even people with good motives but glorifying a ministry more than they're glorifying the Lord. It all has to be about Jesus Christ because that's what this world needs. And we see that in the news this week. We've seen the events of the week and all that has happened this week. I was going to close with this thought, but maybe I will open with this thought. I saw on CNN, it was yesterday as I was sitting at my desk and I jotted down the headline, it says, who can make it stop? And it's a frustration. Can't believe we're revisiting these issues again. And CNN asked, who can make it stop? Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can make it stop. Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the idea, well, their question was directed towards the presidential candidates, but... They're not going to make it stop. They may probably even make it worse, either one of them. Racial equality is not going to come from any man. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit to people whose lives have been sold out to Jesus Christ that understand it's not about the power, I'm sorry, the, the, the color of skin, but about the blood of the Lamb upon our hearts. And when we get that, when we realize that, then we'll see things truly change. But guess what? They're not going to change. They're going to get worse. It's going to get, we'll see that next week in our study in chapter 3. Things are going to get worse. And then there's going to appear upon the scene a man who seemingly is going to make it all better, but he's going to make things even worse than they are today. It's called the Antichrist. And so as you see these events folding and you see them continuing on, you see the terrorists, you see the racist racist and, and everybody else, just realize these things are going to be biblically so. They're going to be so. Keep them up in prayer. Make sure that you don't get involved in them. Make sure that you would be more the answer and the solution. Give them Jesus Christ because what they need is the gospel of God. And so what we've been seeing in chapter 2 are those who are prepared to be used by the Lord for that express purpose. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, we saw those who represent God to his people are to be seen as an effective teacher. Paul as If he got in Timothy's face, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One who is responsible for the giving of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 speaks of those who God has given to the church. They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Secondly, we saw in verses 3 and 4, those who represent God to his people are to be skilled as a soldier. A soldier is a disciplined person 
who pushes forward in the face of opposition. Personal opposition, if sin has got you down, you need to push forward in it in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and then secular opposition that reigns out there as well. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We saw, my wife reminded me of it, I think it was this morning, that when Jesus Christ came, you saw a lot of demonic activity. Why? Because the devil understood the magnitude of what was going to happen upon the cross. That was at the first coming of Christ. Now we see the devil reign today. Why? Or at least seemingly reign today. Why? Because Christ is coming back. And as Christ is coming back, preparing to come back, the devil is going to step up his battle, his attacks, even so much more. Thirdly, we saw in verse 5, those who represent God to his people are to be agile as an athlete. An athlete, one who is constantly preparing to contend for victory. We have this picture very richly presented to us in the Olympics this year. Those people who have given their lives for maybe just a moment. Well, maybe God has given you new life for just one moment, one glorious moment. Again, not to bring glory to yourself, but glory to God through your ministry to somebody that God has brought into your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. Do you not know that those who run in a race... Uh, those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. And so he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. I could do okay in marathons when I was in high school, but I was dead slow as far as a wind sprint. And if you look at that, you would say, well, then here, what you just read, you're a loser. No, it doesn't say those who win. It says those who compete. And so I had to ask you, are you competing? Even more than that, are you preparing to compete? Because all of those athletes in the Olympics, every person that is standing there getting ready to run that race, that race represents just a lifetime of dedication and preparation for that moment. And even those who lose, even those who lose will be respected by their country because they competed. They prepared themselves and they competed. Fourthly, verses 6 through 13 those who represent God to his people are to be as a steadfast farmer, one who cultivates the land, he plants the seed, he keeps it water, and in due time he reaps a harvest. In Matthew thirteen twenty three. but he who received the, sound, the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. We as good farmers are to prepare that person to be able to receive the seed and to produce. And then fifthly, we saw in verses 14 through 18, those who represent God to his people are to be an unwavering workman. Workman, one employed in a laborious occupation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, for the equipping of saints for the work of ministry. We look at the power of the Holy Spirit, and we think we can pull back and kick back, but ministry is work. And what I mean by that is it demands effort. God will enable you in that effort that you produce, but nonetheless, we still have to put forth the effort. So then we spent two weeks to see what it meant to be a diligent worker, one who rightly divides the word of truth, not bringing shame into the ministry. Why? Because there are plenty of shameful Christians plenty of shameful believers out there. And so look at verses 16 through 19. It says, Shun profane and idle babblings, for they increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, or besides that, the solid foundation of God stands, having his seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. These that are being described here, it says, are a cancer, or the literal interpretation, gangrene, an infection within the body of Christ. They must be amputated before they infect the whole body. Now, those who represent God to his people, what we'll be looking at today, are to be honorable vessels. Honorable vessels. Again, verses 20 through 22. But in a great house, in the church, 
There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I'll stop there. Paul considered this concept earlier in his epistle in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 4. I can safely say earlier because 2 Timothy is Paul's last epistle, his last prison epistle. But again, this concept of a vessel, a vessel of honor or this or dishonor, he visited that concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen in clay pots, in, in just simple pottery that was very popular during the day. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Well, a clay pot is something that is very fragile, something that can be broken very easily. But the power did not rest in the vessel. The power rested in what was contained inside the vessel. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side. Well, for a clay pot, that wouldn't be a good thing. If you compress a clay pot, it's going to fall apart. But we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, or sometimes we're confused. We don't understand everything that's going on, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because of what was contained in the pot. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And what he's speaking of here is the essence of the gospel. The dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. We're always dying to ourselves. That the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And so what he's saying here is we're these pots, these earthen pots, but the power isn't of us because we'd be easily crushed, but it's of God. And he says the message that we contain within these vessels is what's important. And it's this message what is to be revealed through us. Or when you pour out the pot, it should be Jesus Christ. It should be the glorious gospel of God that is presented to whoever is there to receive it. This concept of a vessel was given to Paul right at the start of his ministry, right after he was saved on that road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, it says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, he's speaking of the apostle Paul, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. See, Paul was a vessel of gold and silver. He looked very good on the outside, but before his salvation experience, he contained something very vile and disgusting. It was on that road to Damascus that God met him. God cleaned the vessel. And now he's presented himself as something he who was dishonorable is now honorable in the sight of God to such a degree that his particular ministry was to go into the palaces of kings and pour out the gospel to them. And so there's many vessels, there's many types of vessels, but most importantly it says here in verse 20 back in 2 Timothy, but in a great house, he's speaking of the church here. And so, once again, he's brought us to the place that we can look around us and we can look at us within this church, this great house, this church. So within the church, there are vessels, vessels in the sight of God that are honorable and some are dishonorable. Now, if I asked you to point out the dishonorable vessels from the honorable vessels, you would make a superficial judgment. You would look at and you would say, well, you know what, there's the ones of wood and clay, they're not so honorable, but that person over there, they're gold and silver, so they're very honorable. You would naturally set aside the vessels of gold and silver as just being that, honorable, and the ones of wood and clay, you would probably categorize as something not so desirable. The issue, though, has been previously presented to us in the Old Testament. A lot of what we see come to fruition in the New Testament has been previously presented in the Old Testament so that we would understand God's hand in all of this. Well, God decides that Saul's not a suitable king, and he's taken his hand off of King Saul, though he's still in the office. And so God tells Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse. 
Jesse, and I, I want you to anoint one of his sons king. So he's got a few sons, and so Samuel's got a problem. He's looking at these men, and as he's looking at them, though, he's thinking, these are good-looking guys. These guys would make great kings. Well, the problem was that was the same description of Saul, but Saul didn't work out so well. Why? It was all exterior. It was all gold and silver, but dishonorable inside. And I don't know about David's brothers. We're not told much about them. But the thing about it is God spoke to the prophet and said, none of these are them. And then he says, well, I got one more son. He's up with the sheep. Go get him, and, and I'll bring him down. And so they bring him down, and now we have this vessel who, well, probably not so much gold and silver. He was young and ruddy, he's described as. Probably more along the lines of wood and clay. But God saw something inside of him. God saw the potential for this man who would later on be described as a man after my own heart. God saw that inside this young man was great potential. There was honor there. I don't know about the time, but I would imagine some of David's psalms were written during his time before he became king and even before he received that anointing to become king. But this is an honorable person. It didn't matter about the exterior. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the last part, God speaking to this prophet, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. My outward actions and my outward appearances, because if you were able to do better, if you looked a lot better, then you would be seen better in the sight of God. But God doesn't look at that. And these are things that we can't see, that we don't know. God looks at, when it says the heart, he's not looking at the boom, 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 boom. He's looking at the inward person. The inward person that when, well, I think maybe the best example or the best picture would be that person that you are when you lay your head down on your bed. And it's dark, and it's just you and the Lord. It's you, as you know, that you try and you fail, and you fail, but you try but you have that heart for the Lord and the things of the Lord. And that's what God considers, the person that you are. He doesn't consider all of your failures. And on the other hand, he doesn't consider all of your victories. He just looks at the motivation for the things that you do and the things that you say and that which brings you into the place of his service. It's because you understand the magnitude of what Christ did upon the cross. And because of what Christ has done, this is now who, what you desire to do. And it's that which God makes that determination. Not for salvation. Salvation is all based upon Jesus Christ. But as far as being honorable in the sight of the Lord or dishonorable in the sight of the Lord, we praise God that he looks at the heart. See, some of those vessels of gold and silver can contain some pretty ugly stuff. They can be dishonorable. Some of those vessels of wood and clay, maybe people you wouldn't give a second thought, but in the sight of God, they're very honorable. And so i got to be careful. Again, we have a society that judges exterior, judges the exterior. And what's happening? People are dying. Innocent people are dying. Because why? Because people are looking at the exterior and judging according to the exterior. And again, the same thing would happen within the church. People would spiritually die if we just look at the exterior. Now I'm looking at the stage and I'm thinking, i got to come up there. There's a bunch of good-looking young people up there. And although I'm still good-looking, I'm not so young anymore. But it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. We don't have anybody up here because they're good-looking or young. Case in point. We have people up here, the, the worship team I'm talking about. Why? Because they've got a heart to worship the Lord. And that's what it's got to be about. Matter of fact, there's plenty of churches that probably do church better than we do. But I like to think that our church has a heart for God and the things of God. And we can stand before the Lord with a clean and a pure heart. But in a great house, but in the church, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some, now it doesn't say that the gold and silver are the honorable ones and the wood and clay are the dishonorable ones it just says some of these some of the gold and silver some of the wood and clay for honor and some for dishonor therefore if anyone cleanses himself from the latter what's the latter the latter is the dishonor he will be a vessel for honor it doesn't say he'll be uh, the wood and clay will become gold and silver or vice versa 
but it just says he will be a vessel, whichever he is, for honor, sanctified or set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Every good work is the work that God has for you. And if you ever have the mindset, how come God never uses me? How come God never seems to do a work in me or, or through me? Are you honorable? Are you honorable to the point that God could say, even though this person's imperfect, he's a person after my own heart. That's the way to be honorable before the Lord. So if properly cleansed, a vessel that was formerly dishonorable can become one of honor. This one, the master will fill with holiness for his purpose. Again, what is God wanting to do? He's wanting to dispense. He's wanting to pour out. How does God pour out? He pours out through his people. You look from page to page, that's the way he's always done it. He's used one person in the life of another person, and by faith to faith to faith, we've seen it work out throughout all of history. So this tells me that there are believers within the church that look like vessels sufficient for being filled with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, but instead, they're basically spittoons of the world. They're filled with every unclean thing, every worldly thing. There are others that you would be of the mindset to put out in your garage or the backyard but are actually filled with every good and godly thing. My mother has a vessel at her house that I really like one day if she, when she goes to be with the Lord. I don't even like to have it. Now, it's a clay pot. It's a clay pot that we've had out in the backyard. I remember in the 60s when I was growing up that it was out there, and it's endured all of these years. And it's kind of special to me. There's a lot of memories associated with my father, my growing up, all of those years, and it's endured for so long. But the thing about it is, I wouldn't put it in my house. Why not? Well, as much as that means to me, that's got to have every disgusting thing within inside of it that has crawled inside of there. And so we consider the things that we put in our house. Even a great house. In a great house, you wouldn't put anything dishonorable. Now, there's the clay and the wood inside that house. Without a doubt, it has its purpose. And then there's the gold and silver. It has its purpose as well but it's all about what's contained inside of it. So which are you? Which are you? Are you an honorable vessel or are you a dishonorable vessel? Very important to know because usefulness to God is in relation to our willingness for cleanliness. Cleanliness, our holiness. And so do you have that willingness? Are you willing to change where you need to change? Are you willing to forsake what you need to forsake? Are you willing to flee from what you need to flee from? And we need to constantly be going through our lives and do that evaluation. If you want to be useful for the Lord, if you want to be honorable in the Lord's sight, again, we're only honorable because of Christ, because of the salvation that he's given us, but in this great house, are you honorable or are you dishonorable before the Lord? There's so many, well, in this church today, it's so easy to compromise for the sake of numbers, for the sake of numbers, for the sake of bringing people inside, for the sake of filling up the agape box, the offering box, and all of these things, but it's not so in the sight of God. We've got to be faithful, and there's got to be a constant evaluation of our lives. Again, if you're a born-again believer, you're going to heaven, but do you want to be honorable in the sight of the Lord? Paul thought so much of this concept that he said in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I beseech ye therefore, brethren. Now, if the apostle Paul was going to beg of you for something, wouldn't it get your attention? Now, this is the spirit working through Paul. But nonetheless, he says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God is merciful. So because God's merciful, you can admit your shortcomings before the Lord. Maybe you don't want to tell anybody else, and that's okay. I don't want to hear about the things you do. But before God, he does. You can repent. because Why? Because God is merciful. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's a living sacrifice? Well, a dead sacrifice will be something that is very well known because in the temple they were killing sacrifices constantly. But because Christ died... We don't need to die anymore, die to ourselves, sure, but now we are to live for him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. And this is the only means by which we know which is holy and acceptable or honorable in the sight of God. Then he tells us what not to do. 
Do not be conformed to the world. Don't be pressed into the form of the world. When I was a kid, I remember we had this, wasn't a game, but it was this little oven thing. And it had these little molds, and you filled them full of some stuff that was called goop, and you could make creepy crawlers. You would fill it full of goop, you would put it in this little oven thing, cook it for a while, take it out, and you would have you know, these little insects and stuff like that. And the only way that this goop became an insect is you had to put it into the form. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't be pressed into their form. Don't become a creepy crawler in God's sight. But be conformed. See, to be conformed to the world is to have outward influences pressing upon you. Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed. A transformation, that occurs from the inside out. Do not be conformed to the world, but transform through the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the sight of God, that you may be honorable in the sight of the Lord. That's how you do it. That's the only way to do it. So what do we need? We need to cleanse our mind from false teaching. We need to cleanse our heart from false attraction. And we need to cleanse our will from false agendas. We need to stay rooted and grounded in the Word of God. So this goes back to what we saw earlier, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about to words of no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. It will make you be dishonorable in the sight of God, but be diligent. Put your effort into presenting yourself approved to God, a worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth to rightly divide the word of truth and to grasp those concepts and to do those concepts are the only means, the only ways which you may be honorable in the sight of the Lord. Remembering Matthew chapter 7, this goes a little bit deeper, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And so what you need to do is to be reminded, regardless of whatever church you're in and the amount of people in that church, there's a percentage in that church who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's all exterior, but God looks at the heart. It's a good thing he looks at the heart for the born-again believer, but for the person who isn't born again, it's going to bring judgment upon your life, regardless of the facade that you have been able to build within the body of Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father presents his body as a living sacrifice, the person who presents himself as a vessel of honor. So you could say, so I got to do that for salvation now as well? No, but the person who's saved will do that, will have a desire to do that. See, again, I can... Okay, well, I, I did everything that they told me to do. I made the altar call and I read my Bible every day. So how do I know that I'm right with God? Well, do you have a heart and a passion to do the will of God? It's not do you do the will of God, but do you have a heart and a passion to do the will of God? Because the person who does not have the Holy Spirit will not have a heart and passion to do the will of God. And what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is that guarantee that has been given by the Lord Jesus Christ as he has gone to prepare a place for you. And again, the best explanation, I've given it so many times before, but my wife and I, before we were married, when we were dating, I asked her to marry me. And guess what? I suckered her in. She said yes. But we weren't going to get married. I don't remember. We didn't get married for a year, year and a half, two years, ten years. Oh, two years, she says. Either that or she's saying peace. Um, it was about two years, and so I had to seal my promise with something, and so I got her an engagement ring. I paid the price. I paid the price, I bought it, and I gave it to her so that when she looked at it, she could be reminded of the sincerity of my promise. And one day, I came for her, and we were married, and so we've had 36 years, 36 plus years now. But there was that given of that engagement ring. God gave us the giving of the engagement ring, if you will, and that's the Holy Spirit. So when I, it's not about others seeing the Spirit in me, that's important, don't get me wrong, but first, I've got to see the Spirit inside myself. I've got to see how this life has been changed and this life has been altered. I've got to see that my priorities are no longer what they used to be. On that day of my salvation, there has been an 
absolute change. And what that does is it gives me confidence in these evil days and through the weakness of my flesh that I still know that I'm a child of God. And that gives me a confidence to continue to push forward, to continue to seek after honor so that I would be well-pleasing to my Father in heaven. See, it's those things that lend towards a proof of my salvation and a confidence in this evil age. And so I pray that that would also spill out into my family and my friends, my acquaintances, my church, so that if the Lord should ever take me, there would be a confidence that Pastor Mike is no longer present in the body, but he is present in the sight of the Lord. And so I believe that I owe that to my church. I owe that to my family. I owe that to so many acquaintances that God would be glorified, that he would be poured out of this life into the lives of others. I have heard, seen, and experienced just as much worldliness of those who claim to be Christians, and even more so from those who don't. We need to stand out from that. Verses 22 and 23. So he goes into speaking of how we are to be honorable before the Lord. In verse 22 he says, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Flee youthful lust. Youthful lust, it's that which is unstable, untrained, and unrestrained. This is a passion for pleasure over a hunger for holiness. Acid test. The acid test that, that, that I use in my life, this is personal, I'll just share it with you, and maybe you can glean from it as well. I'm not saying if you do these things, you're going to hell kind of a thing, or you lose your salvation, but this is just something how I have gauged my life. I've made pretty much the decision to don't do, don't see, or don't partake in any of the things that I would tell a child not to do. Now, I'm more mature. I could probably handle them. But why would I tell a child not to do something and then partake it in myself? If it's bad for that particular child, then it ought to be bad for me. I'll just use a personal conviction here. I wouldn't take any... I've got grandchildren from, what, a month old, two months old, all the way through. I think Noah's nine now. I would not take them to an R-rated movie. Too much violence, bad language, sexuality, too much of that stuff for them. But if it's too much for them, why isn't it too much for me? Why do I think that I can stand above all of that stuff? Again, remember the concept is a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. I want my grandchild to be honorable, and if I fill, him, fill that vessel full of that stuff, it's going to dilute any holiness that is inside. But it works two ways. If I'm filling myself with that stuff, it's going to dilute the holiness that is inside of me. One of the things that I'm scared to death of is part of the past life. And part of my past life, being in construction and all, was foul language. But now I honor God through the language that he has given me to speak here in this place. But an effective tool of the enemy would be to slip one of those old words in. I don't dwell upon those things, but one of my greatest fears is for one of those things to slip out part of the old person. And it scares me to death. Now, again, I don't use that language anywhere anymore. It's been years since I've used one of those words. I can't even tell you how many, can't even tell you when. But if I'm constantly filling those words into the vessel even though I've made a determination not to pour them out anymore, at some point it's going to overflow and it's going to spill out. And there's going to be various areas in our lives. I'm just using myself as an example, but you use yourself as your own example. What are you filling yourself with? Whatever you fill yourself with, sooner or later, is going to spill out. And don't think that there's any point in your spiritual life that you have risen above it all. Don't think that you're above that child or what you wouldn't put in that child you would put in yourself. Don't think you're above that. If you have, you're a lot more uh, spiritual than I am. Notice a key part to verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord of a pure heart. Three key things here. We are told here what we should be running from. Flee also youthful lust. What do I look at as a youthful lust in my old life, my 58 years? Those lusts that were before Christ. And 
those lusts that were before Christ that can so easily enter into my time after Christ. And he's not saying, stand up against those. Well, I couldn't stand up against them then. That tells me here, I can't stand up against them now. Matter of fact, if I could stand up against it, he would say stand up against it. But he's saying, even a person filled with the Holy Spirit, get away from it. Flee from it. So first key part here is to what we run from, those youthful lusts. The second thing is, is what we run to. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace is to pursue righteousness. This is God's righteousness as defined to us by the word and exhibited to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So flee. Now, if you just flee from something, you're going to leave a vacuum in your life. We all have to have reason and purpose. If your reason and purpose were things of the flesh and now you've been told to flee from that, there's going to be a vacuum and you need to fill that vacuum with something because if you just leave it open, it's going to be filled with something else that is unclean. And so as I am to flee from, I am also to run to, and I am to run to the righteousness that is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a lifetime effort. So we're told what to run from, what to run to, and then we're told who to run with. Who to run with? Look at the last part. With those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. It's not that you're to be in your house, locked away wherever it is that you stay and be doing those things as other people do those things and their locked up place. We are to be doing these things corporately. Why are we to be doing these things corporately? Because you'll be watching me. You'll be watching me and you'll be encouraging me. I'll be watching you and I'll encourage you. I'm not watching you, nor should you be watching me for the purpose of judgment, but for the purpose of encouragement, that I would encourage you in holiness and righteousness. You would encourage me in holiness and righteousness as well. That's why we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, it won't be on the board, verse 25, it says, let us consider one, uh, verse 24, let us consider one another, why? Again, not to judge one another as we so easily do, stab one another in the back or gossip about one another. Let us consider one another for the purpose of, well, it says here, in order to stir up love and good works, a righteousness within the body of Christ. It says in verse 25, it's how we do it, not forsaking the gathering together of one another. You can't do those things if you're not here. And just as important, you can't do those things if you're not actively here not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. So I would tell the writer of Hebrews, yeah, they weren't coming to church back then either, huh? As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another, getting down to the level of another person and lifting them up or encouraging them up, exhorting one another and so much more. Now this pertains directly to us. And so much more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is end times. How much more so should we be doing that today when we see everything that's going on, all these birth pangs that are leading us towards end-time, not end-time events, we're in the midst of end-time events, I believe, but in the end times. The rapture of the church is coming, tribulation is coming, and the second coming of Christ is coming, and then the great white throne judgment is coming as well. And so a lot to consider here, and I'll go ahead and close here. But in a great house, in the Lord's church, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there are also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. We ought not to be a respecter of persons. Just because somebody is seen by you as wood and clay doesn't mean that they're not seen by God as gold and silver. And on the other hand, we ought not to respect somebody just because they look like gold and silver when in actuality they may be filled with every unclean thing. We are not to be a respecter of persons, but we are to encourage one another to holiness. It starts with yourself, and then it pours out from yourself into the lives of others. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone... This is very important. It doesn't matter what used to be contained in there. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter who you used to be. Jesus came and dined with tax tax collectors. We don't like tax collectors today. Is anybody here a tax collector? Just curious. Anybody work for the IRS? I don't want to know. 
you laugh because you understand what I'm talking about. But they were even worse back in Jesus' day. They were looked at people who turned from their Jewish race and bought in with the Romans. And so they were very much looked down upon back in that day. And so that being the case, I completely forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, I remember now. So Jesus dined with tax collectors, what they perceived, the, the Jewish people perceived to be the worst of the worst, but also with prostitutes and everything else under the sun. It's not because he was concerned about who they used to be, but who they could be. And who did Christ come and die for? He didn't die for the righteous. They don't need a Savior, although there's no such thing as the righteous. He came and he died for sinners. And if you start looking at somebody else for what they're doing, it's either because of two things. You don't understand the magnitude of the sinner that you used to be, or those people are partaking in the same sin that you're partaking in or have partaken in. Because a lot of times, my sin upon me, it'll look like grace. God has given me grace for that. But if I see my sin upon you, that looks like judgment because I want to condemn it out of my life. And none of them are productive for the work of ministry within the body of Christ. Therefore, if anyone, again, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation, so it doesn't matter. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, whether he's of wood and clay or gold and silver. Sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So again, verse 22 what we have to continually work at. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Pure heart, one that's been washed clean by the blood of the Lord, and avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. You know what, today, and I could talk for hours on this. Anybody have any plans afterwards? But no, seriously. Verse 23, we are filled with foolish and ignorant disputes and it's generating strife. I don't care who it is you're listening to. I don't care if you're liberal or conservative. Whoever, you, you turn on Fox, you turn on CNN, you turn on NBC or anybody else, there's the talking heads. And what are they constantly doing? It's foolish and ignorant disputes. Why? Because the point is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything else, everything else is just causing more and more problems. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Why? Because they generate strife, and we live in a generation of strife today. I can't go out there, and it's even hard to share the gospel, to go out there and have an intelligent conversation without it exploding into name-calling and people getting mad and walking away. It used to be that on a Friday night for entertainment, they would go and listen to a debate. And two people would debate a point, and they would give intelligent reasons for their position. And as they do that, you could come to a conclusion based upon facts. Now, when one person starts to lose a debate or seemingly doesn't have the information or able to present it, they just rise up and start screaming at the other person. That's what we've been reduced to today. But you, but you are a servant of the Lord. Verse 24, I'm just going to read this. We'll study it next week. But in a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. That's a rarity today, but that needs to be the body of Christ. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. Your word, Father, that just gives us your path in all situations and circumstances. Regardless of the times or the signs of the times, these things that are the things that, Lord, we need to hold dear and so, Father, I pray for the most mature person here today, that, Lord, he would consider himself, that if there's areas that he needs to flee, that truly he would flee. If there's areas of his life he needs to shore up, then he would shore up. Lord, that we would be very careful what we put in these vessels, because, again, whatever we put into the vessels at some point is going to overflow out. I pray, Father, for the person here who maybe looked at his life, looked at his life and considered things and didn't see the existence of the Holy Spirit, didn't see the proof of a changed life. And the word tells us that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. So again, it matters not what we've done, what we've partaken in. What matters is today is to partake in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, even as we sang that last song before the study started, it's all about the grace of God the grace of God given to imperfect people for the glory of the Lord. And so, again, salvation is a very personal thing. But again, 
everybody that Jesus called, he called in a public manner. And so we're going to give an opportunity this morning. And again, I can give up here and give a list of definitions for why somebody should respond, but ultimately it's because God is speaking to you and you know you need to respond, either for salvation or because of salvation, making that commitment once again, going on record before the Lord that you need to be obedient to what he has called you to. And so again, if God is speaking to your heart, if he's tugging at your heart today, if you know there's change necessary, if you know you need to give your heart to Christ or you need to come into the obedience to the Lord, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand here in a minute and just give us the privilege of praying for you and encouraging you in your Christian life. We just saw that. We are to come alongside of one another and to encourage one another, and the best way to do that is prayer. This is to be done, eyes closed and heads bowed, and that, well, again, this is between the individual person and their God, but right now, if God's speaking to your heart, if you know you need prayer in your Christian life or for a Christian life, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I see your hand here in the front, left. I see your hand throughout the church. And again, this is, I don't want you to raise your hand just to raise your hand, but if God's speaking to you, don't let this moment get past you. Is there anybody else here? Anybody else here? You're raising your hand to God, not to any man. Is there anybody else? You can put your hands down. Father, I lift up those who have lifted their hands to you. And I just pray, Father, as a brother who has come in the same way, Lord, to the kingdom of heaven that everybody else has, that, Lord, we would be faithful to lift up our brothers and sisters. I lift up the brothers and sisters who have lifted their hands. I pray, Father, that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give them the assurance of their salvation. But I also pray that you would give them endurance within their salvation. And as you do, Father, we just simply pray that you would be glorified through the humble lives that are represented here today. Lord, this is a great house. It's a great house, and it's you who make it great. Maybe not great in quality, but definitely great in magnitude. And because of that, Father, I pray that we would see the things listed in your word, and Father, that we would apply them to, the, to our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would make this word applicable to those who have heard it here today. And Father, we would see the results of this word throughout our coming week. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. I lift up those who have come out that you would bless them, watch over them as they travel, bring them into the lives of the unsaved, that, Father, we would truly be people who pour out your gospel for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Okay, as I said, Vacation Bible School.